Hi there. A quick message before we start. Don't forget that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at intersportrent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. You'll get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So if you want to support the Ski Podcast, remember to book your ski hire within support and to use the code Ski Podcast or take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 185 of the Ski Podcast and thanks for joining us listener. Today we're going to be finding out about new ways to take the train to the Alps and what it's like skiing to the North Pole. Uh, now my name's Ian Martin, I'd like to introduce my guests today, both are first timers to the show. Uh, I'd like to welcome Chrissy Rowe, Sustainability Manager at Ingham Ski. Hi Chrissy. how are you? I'm good thanks Ian, nice to be here. Uh, can I ask where you are today? I am the other side of Hazelmere, so between Guildford and Chichester. And also joining us for the first time today, we've got Sue Stockdale. She's an adventurer, speaker and coach. Uh, hi, Sue. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Ian. Whereabouts in the country are you? Well, I'm a little bit north of, of both of you. I'm in North Wiltshire near the Avebury Stone Circle. OK, I know that because um, I have done uh, an ultramarathon called Race to the Stones and uh, the stones that you're racing to are those uh, the Avery Stone Circle. So I've, I've been there and run round it, albeit in the middle of the night. Well, that's it's a wonderful place to visit at, at a time where you're not exhausted as well, Ian. Now, a question I always like to uh, ask my guests uh, is when you last skied or snowboarded. So, Chrissy, that's a question is for you. So the last, I was thinking about this earlier, the last time I properly skied was um, when my husband and I lived in Australia for several years and we used to go off to the snowy mountains at the weekends. But since having kids, we haven't skied as a family yet. And that is what we're hoping to do this winter is take the, the kids are desperate to get onto the slopes and give it a go. So, yeah, hopefully getting out there this winter. All right. Well, let's maybe think of lots of things. Firstly, I skied in Australia uh, back in July. Uh, I was skiing in Perisher and Threadbow. Is that where you were skiing or were you Melbourne based? No, I was Threadbow. Yeah, that, that area. Yeah. And then before that, um, Japan as well. I used to live in Japan and I used to go the weekends there. So, yeah, it's been it's been a while since I was in the Alps. So I'm looking forward to getting back Okay. And how, how old are your kids? They are 8, 11 and 13. So, okay, you've got a mix time. there. Now, I know, uh, you know, Ingham's obviously off for lots of holidays as well, but I think within the group uh, in Hotel Plan, you've got Esprit. They are like a family specialist. Would you would you be picking up a holiday with them then for your first time? I mean, Esprit are great for, for fa the family option. Um, they tend to specialise in 17 weeks to 12-year-old ages. So my eldest is probably a bit older. Um, we'll probably look at doing something based with Ingham's instead but yeah Esprit if you want that kind of mix of skiing and relaxing while the children are looked after but also a bit of family time it's it's a good option for that definitely. Okay cool well I, I recommend uh, that you listen to all episodes of the podcast but in episode 184 I think it was we did discuss good ski resorts for uh, beginners so uh, ha have a listen to that one. Uh, Sue when was the last time you were on snow? Well, I was on snow last January and I was snowshoeing in Narvik in Norway. It was a day off of a cruise ship. So I just got my feet into the snow and enjoyed the outdoors again. Excellent. Um, I've actually, 
I've done lots and lots of different ski experiences, but I've never been uh, snowshoeing. Uh, it's something that I think I would enjoy because you get to get out in nature and get away from, uh, you know, the main lifts. So I normally do that ski touring, but uh, you'd recommend it? Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. It's it's a great way to move um move slowly to appreciate nature i love skiing as well and you know you get get you able to move fast that way but there's something different about slowing down in snowshoeing and just noticing the world around you in quite a different way and it was fantastic yeah. in norway yeah well I, you know i'd say that as well um with ski touring but on my list <laughs> has to be something that i try uh at some point uh, right, I've got uh, a few bits of news uh, before we uh, move into chat with our uh, guests. Uh, firstly, I'm very excited to uh, say that the Ski Podcast has been uh, shortlisted as one of the finalists in Broadcast Programme of the Year uh, at the uh, prestigious 2023 Travel Media Awards. And this is very exciting. We we have won, uh, actually, awards uh, before, but that was a, like a publicly voted uh, affair. And uh, in this case, it's uh, uh, we were chosen by judges uh, for that shortlist of five. Uh, we're actually uh, up against uh, um, other nominees are uh, you know from production companies like the BBC and the Discovery Channel. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how we uh, how we get on against those. I see the BBC have won that category in four of the last uh, seven years, but. Um, you know, the judges have chosen their shortlist of finalists. And what it says is uh, they're looking for programs that demonstrate informative, original, thought-provoking and entertaining storytelling, uh, story uh, keeping the audience engaged. So hopefully, as a listener to the Ski Podcast, you'd agree with all of the above. Uh, the winners are going to be announced on the 23rd of October. So I'll keep you posted uh, about that one. Also, in other news, uh, earlier this week, I was at Ski Launch. And that is a big networking event for the industry uh, in London. And I've attended that event for many years as a journalist. Um, right now, I actually am responsible for putting together the forum for various people from the industry uh, who attend. Uh, regular listeners can probably guess I really enjoy doing this because I find everything about our, in uh, our industry interesting. It's a bit like the podcast. I look out for ideas that I find interesting and then I share them. I, I you know, get people to come in and uh, you know, discuss these uh, different uh, ideas. And, and this year, our keynote speaker was from the uh, company Des Alpes. That is a massive company. If you don't know it, they own uh, 10 ski resorts in France, including La Plan, Les Arctines, Val d'Isère, Mirabeau, Les Minuires, Chevalier. They're very influential. Uh, and they have a plan to hit net zero by 2030. So I was joined by Sarah Picard, who's their brand and communications manager. And I had a little chat to her after the presentation. Right. I'm at Ski Launch and I'm with uh, Sandra Picard from Compagnie des Alpes, who's come over from France today. Thanks very much for joining us, Sandra. My pleasure. Very, very interesting presentation earlier today, all about uh, Compagnie des Alpes' commitment to net zero. Far too much to cover in here, but I wondered if you could just give us um, an insight into how Company is Out has come to this decision to, uh, to get to net zero for 2030. Okay, it's quite simple, you know, we are in the middle and in the ground for a long, long time. So we made a lot of tests and learn initiatives since long years because we are very concerned by the problem and the first reach by the problem. And uh, last year, we decided just to make a big survey among all our stakeholders 
and we just realized that it was time to accelerate the initiatives. Uh, and hopefully, uh, we also find new, uh, not new, but uh, very old solution that we can immediately put in place, especially for the grooming using the HVO specific biofuel uh, to reduce by 80% the carbon footprint uh, in this key area. So we'll begin like that and give you. I mean, that's just scraping the top of the surface. So you explained to us about a lot of the things that the different resorts that Company Des Alpes uh, own. The solar panels are becoming more common. And you talk about your your um, showpiece resort, let's say, Ser Chevalier, where they're generating 30% of their uh, power through their own sustainable sources. For example, and other, other ideas is also just to be sure how we are not able to reduce everything instead in, in t- talking about carbon emission we sign a big 10 years contract with the national forestry just to be able to produce carbon sink uh, by reforestation and the good news is that reforestation serve to absorb the carbon but also have a lot of co-benefits in terms of biodiversity so we're really proud of that Excellent. Well, that's brilliant. Uh, merci, Sandra, and uh, thank you for coming over and joining us. Thank you. So I'll post a link to her slide deck in the show notes. It was really interesting talking about business with purpose, not just trying to make a profit as the be-all and end-all. Uh, and you know, I did a hopefully informative, uh, maybe entertaining presentation about AI. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, so you can look at my slides if you want to. We covered lots of other different topics, but we finished off with a regular guest uh, on the show, Chemi Alcott, who kept everybody very entertained. She is such an energetic uh, person. I always really enjoy interviewing her. Uh, something else that cropped up, uh, there's been a new survey by Le Ski, uh, Le Ski Chalets, Disclaimer, I work with them on this. I help them put it together. But, uh, you know, the reason I'm covering it is because I think it's uh, you know, extremely valuable. What we did is we used YouGov uh, to do a poll. And because we're using YouGov, it's uh, fully representative of the UK population. So it gives really accurate information. And what we took from that is that good news. The UK's no sports market is expected to grow by 14% uh, this winter. And, you know, we had other uh, stats as well uh, to do with the number of people taking uh, chalets uh, and how many people go skiing, uh, etc. Uh, but I spoke to Nick, Nick Morgan, MD at Le Ski. So let's hear what he had to say. So I'm here with uh, Nick Morgan, uh, MD of Le Ski. And uh, we're at Ski Launch today. Some very exciting uh, news re- released, I think yesterday actually it was, survey that Le Ski have uh, done. I wondered if you could just tell us uh, a little bit about it. Well, it was a, a survey uh, which was taken uh, by YouGov uh, and they asked a thousand people a various sets of questions uh, about skiing. And the upshot is that it looks like there's going to be a growth in the ski market this year of 14%, which is amazing. Cool. That is, uh, I always like to hear positive news. We don't always uh, uh, get to uh, come across that. Uh, that, that is uh, really interesting. Any other stats in there? Yes, it turns out that um, nowadays 13% of British skiers are actually going to chalets, to cater chalets. Right, th- 13. I mean, that is so interesting because I was looking at some stats uh, uh, the other day. Uh, from about uh, 2009 and at that time it was over a third of uh, people were in chalets but uh, you know from your point of view from Le Ski's point of view uh, chalet you only offer chalets don't you? Indeed and I think what's happened is that because when we started in 1982 skiing in chalets was it was fairly niche 
and then it became mass market once the big boys started with their chalet hotels and all the rest of it and it's now come full circle through post-Brexit and post-Covid to be, to be once again quite a niche operation and it's, it's, quite, it's very specialist knowing how to run it because you have to um, employ Brits in France which is complicated. Yeah, yeah well we've covered that on the podcast uh, yeah. before actually uh, you can listen to that listener on our previous uh, episode but overall just you know, very positive uh, then we're looking at uh, some grating that's still people coming back after, uh, after Covid. I think it's a mixture of people coming back to skiing after Covid and uh, some newbies which is you know what we always want yeah. to see uh, and now from, well, from our point of view the stats I know is that we're now 60% full for this coming winter, which yeah. is which is kind of normal pre-COVID, um, but obviously during COVID that wasn't the normal stat. But that's an amazing, you know, it's great to be that full so early. Cool. Well, that's brilliant, Nick. Thanks very much. Thank you. Uh, Christy, I wonder if I could uh, just come to you. I mean, the, the, the key headline there is that uh, uh, Lesky's uh, research uh, suggests that the market is expected to grow by 14% uh, this year. I wondered, you know, what you think of that from uh, England's point of view? Have you seen like bookings are looking strong at the moment? It's it's early for us to tell for the season ahead. I mean, it's 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 doing doing well. It's It's looking good so far. It's been a bump a few seasons um as you know so it's it's you know it's set the bar high in that way um i think we're in a good position in terms of having that higher altitude resort so we've got that kind of snowshore um resort but yeah fingers crossed it does go that way that would be great for for, for the industry and for skiers as well i think yeah, well, I think it was a mix of um, people coming back still. You know, you talk about bumper seasons, people coming back after COVID where they missed that opportunity. And I think there's probably still some people, you know, coming back to skiing after that. So, you know, positive news. Um, this is a time of year where I mentioned ski launch. I mean, the, the, there's a clue in the name there. We're really moving towards the ski season now. We're into September. It's still relatively uh, warm. But next month, we've got uh, some ski shows uh, coming up. They are in Birmingham at the NEC and uh, at London at Excel. Uh, the actual dates, they come in consecutive weekends. So at the NEC, it's on the 14th and the 15th of October. And uh, London at Excel, the 21st and 22nd uh, of October. If you want to go for free, you can. You just use the discount code Ski Podcast. I think that is free up until the 1st of October. And, you know, you if you are going to shows, you'll see me there because I'm presenting uh, on both, well, on all four days. Um, on the Sunday, in both cases, at 11.15 in the morning, we've got the Ski Podcast live where I'll be joined by different guests and talking about different destinations. But on the Saturday uh, of each show, I'm going to be running a session about train travel. And trying to really just sort of demystify train travel a bit because, you know, it's easy for me. You know, I take the train to the Alps probably four or five times uh, every year. What I'm trying to do with those sessions is to help people understand what all the options are. Uh, and I'm delighted to say that Chrissy's going to be joining me on the panel at uh, Birmingham. And the reason I wanted to have you on the show today, uh, Chrissy, is that, um, well, there's a whole number of new services uh, going on but uh you know inghams are bringing a lot more train travel into their program i wondered if we could start by maybe you just explaining a little bit about i'll let you do it <laughs> the, the the new eurostar service and what's going on there yeah so as you said we are with it's a real focus for us trying to increase the amount of train travel that we that we offer and this is part of 
our ongoing commitment to reduce carbon emissions. Um, we've set an ambitious target for 2030 to, to half carbon emissions. And we know that flying is the one of the largest growing sources of, of greenhouse gas emissions. So we, we have to look at alternative ways um, of continuing to travel until we're in a position where, you know, there's lots going on around greener technologies, around aviation, but it's not happening, you know, quite at the speed that we need it to happen um, to reach those targets in terms of cutting carbon. So until we've got those alternative energy sources and, and alternative um, green modes of transport when it comes to aviation, then rail is is a fantastic opportunity in terms of short haul destinations. You know we're quite we're quite lucky at Ingham's and Esprit. A lot of our you know destinations are reachable um, by train, um, and for us at Ingham's, fifty nine percent of the carbon footprint of a holiday comes from the transport, your arrival transport. So from that flight. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I would um, back that up. I've you know I've seen a lot of uh, research and we're most of them fall within a window of 50 to 80 percent if you're from yeah. the uk 50 to 80 percent of the carbon footprint of your ski holiday is going to come from your travel there if you're flying and that can be significantly uh, lower if you go with train just interestingly you mentioned about you know you're saying oh until uh, flying becomes low carbon you know i, I don't want to be a downer on it but i don't think that's ever going to happen you know, electric airplanes are never going to be able to fly long distances unless yeah. there's some incredible step forward. And sustainable aviation fuel is not realistic, in my opinion, for bringing down carbon emissions. But that's another podcast, probably. Yeah, and we're talking short um, haul, not long. You know, longer haul. Agreed. It's 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 a huge challenge. Um, and even I mean, you know, I can see electric planes being used at something like the Paris Olympics because I know they're talking about that. They're talking about really, really short distances of moving people from a hub, uh, you know, to uh, the actual venue. Uh, maybe as taxis or something like that, it can work. But like I say, let's not get into that now. Let's talk a, bit, a little bit about, you know, what the uh, options are on the table for people who want to travel by train this winter. And I guess the biggest uh, change uh, is in relation to um, Eurostar and the service uh, that yeah. they are offering, because um, regular listeners or a lot of people will know anyway that uh, they stopped, Eurostar stopped that direct train to France uh, just before COVID. It disappeared for a few years and then was brought back by uh, a company called Travel Ski on the Travel Ski Express. And then that has now stopped, but there is a different service uh, in place. So there I wonder is. if you could tell us about that. There is. So it's the Eurostar Snow um, and it's come back yeah, in a different guise, as you say. Um, it's, it's, it's good. It's eight nights. So you're departing on a Saturday, nine o'clock from St Pancras. You've got just a quick platform change, hop across the platform at Lille Europe um, around midday. And then that arrives into Borg saint Maurice at 20 past six in the evening. Um, and then we can then transfer you on to Val d'Isère, Les Arcs or Tien into, into resort. Um, so you've got another day skiing as well because you leave on the way back. You're departing on the Sunday. Um, so we've got hotel partners in Borg um, and uh, we're providing, you know, that seventh day skiing for free so you know quieter mountains quieter slopes on that on that Saturday and then an additional night in Borg before we you know transfer you over um back into um back down to to London but the 
the the issue is we've only got seven seven of those departures throughout the season. Um, so it's running from 16th of December to 27th of January, which is fantastic. But it'd be great if we could we could see more, and that's why we're coming out with this week a whole range of um, other train options to. Yeah. Okay. To well, we'll we'll come we'll come on to those ones. I mean, it is frustrating that they're not offering that for the whole season. What I'm hoping. And one of the reasons for doing this kind of podcast and the sessions we're doing at the shows is to get people to understand that it's there and to get occupancy as high as possible exactly. so that Eurostar look at it and think, oh, well, you know what? There's re- there really is genuinely demand for this and uh, that, that they will uh, increase the services. And in fact, I was looking at when I was looking at the um, the Lesky, uh report, I picked up, and I'm just going to, won't help the listeners, but I'm going to hold it up for the benefit <laughs> of Sue and Chrissy. This is like a ski club of Great Britain a report from 2009. And I was, you know, looking at this for various uh, comparisons. And one of the things I spotted uh, within here was talking about, you know, train travel. And uh, the Eurostar train service witnessed a huge growth in popularity. And, in, and, and for the winter season, 2008, 2009, they're reporting that 36,000 people traveled on Eurostar. And it just seems it just seems so sad and retrogressive to me that we've got so few people traveling by train now when we're so much more mindful and aware of the benefits and advantages. So anyway, it's only offer, uh, only available on uh, certain dates, but you know, do book those uh, up. Um, can I just ask a quick uh, logistical question? When So people are taking the train to Lille, and then you're within Lille, Europe, the station there, so you're just changing a platform. Do people collect their luggage off the Eurostar and take it onto the second train, or is that done for them? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's it stays with them. And it's just as you would on a normal train, you know, your luggage is put in the compartments as you come through the door or the overhead compartments. And then you just pick it up as you leave and transfer onto the platforms um, it, it, as easy as, as it would be on, yeah, on any normal train. And I realise that hasn't run yet, but do you actually happen to know, you know, how far... Uh, you have to move it, and, I, and I'm putting this it in context. You know, when when I go change, yeah, right, okay, fine. So you know, they, they tried to make it as smooth as possible, and it's you know part of the reason I've blogged on this on Ski Flight Free. Um, you know, Eurostar and a company called Talis, a European uh, train company, are merging later this year or next month. I think officially it's uh, happening, and that service is going down from Lille uh, to the French Alps is a Talis uh, train. And I'm pretty sure the reason it goes out on a Saturday and comes back on a Sunday is because that literal physical train, the rolling stock, is going to sit down at Bourg Saint Maurice overnight and then come back uh, the next day. But the way you're resolving that in terms of you know, weekly holidays is that you're building in um, into your packages a night in Borg San Marie. So on the last night, so that when the train leaves early on the Sunday morning, everyone's right down there. I can get it really easily. That's that's how that's working, yeah, isn't it? Exactly. Trying to make it as simple as possible for people, um, and then that that added day of skiing is is hopefully a bit of a bonus. Yeah, and another point to clarify is that both of these two. Uh, I know you gave the timings, but both of these two journeys on Eurostar are during the day. Because, again, you know, in, in some years, you know, you could be going uh, overnight. And I can tell you that it's mm. not particularly comfortable 
you know, if you're uh, maybe if you have a bunch of spare seats, it can be better. But in my experience of doing it, you know, people will curl up on the floor under the seats or, or whatever <laughs> it is. Uh, you know, you can be pretty damn knackered by the time uh, you get there. Yeah, Chrissy. And you you miss out on that beautiful scenery as well. I think you know that's that's one of the joys of it being light in the daytime. You can you can see as as the landscapes kind of transition. Um, and I think that's a big part. That's a big part of the enjoyment of train travel, isn't it? Being able to kind of see the transition of the landscape, enjoy it, and and do it a sort of hassle free. Um, pace rather than just flying over the landscape oh you know absolutely I mean you're preaching to convert it as far as I'm concerned in that respect because you know I I mean I I'll say I always uh, uh, travel by train but in recent years any destination that I could have traveled by train in terms of skiing I have done uh, you know I love it and to me also the the big advantage of it is that it's just um, you know I can I can achieve what I can achieve in a normal day of work and have amazing views you know at, at the same time so it's not like a, a lost day that you kind of get when uh, you're flying and it's much more as you say to be able to see the alps you know come into a site and uh, you know the anticipation as you're getting closer to your destination mm. so so that's being operated by eurostar you've taken you know a number of seats on that and you've packaged them in uh, with holidays uh, as well but you also referred to, you know, other train packages that you're uh, introducing. And when I go to the Alps, normally I'm going um, Eurostar to Paris, Garde Nord, then I go down to Garde Lyon, and then I move on. And you're building that into packages as well? Yeah, so we've got from the 18th of September, um, and actually bookable um, bookable now, um, but we'll be, we'll be, you know, pushing hard um, and really spreading the word around the fact that we're going into four countries and 22 resorts. So we've got St. Anton in Austria, into U and out to two resorts in Italy, um, into Zurich via Paris, um, and into then going into six resorts in Switzerland, and then a whole heap of resorts um, in France via either um, Moutier or Borg Saint-Maurice or U. So there's lots of options. Um, the you know going via via Paris um, if you're going on to Austria, Italy, and Switzerland, and then for for France if it's not the Eurostar um, snow option, then you're you're changing at Lille and then again at Lyon. Um, yeah, so lot, lots of options and just encourage people really if you're kind of looking for what's out there. Um, and you can't find what you want on the website, just give us a call and talk it through because it feels like the doors are open, the possibilities are there. Um, it's just working out the best route for you. Great. Well, that, that's very exciting. I mean, all of those uh, routes that you mentioned are ones I've taken before, although I've never actually been uh, via uh, Lille. But, you know, St. Anton, you go out to Zurich on, on that one. Uh, those Swiss resorts, you know, the onward train travel uh, can often take you right into resort. I mean, it does for St. Anton, the railway station, which is a fantastic railway station that was rebuilt for the World Championships uh, about 2001 or something like that. Very modern, uh, uh, award-winning uh, piece of architecture, I think. But other resorts like, uh, you know, Andermatt and uh, Zermatt, uh, Arosa as well, you can take the train into all of those places uh, directly, uh, which is a real, you know, a a appeal to me. Um, with France, slightly differently, uh, slightly different. Talking about the route there, you've got that, you know, final section. Unless you're going to, let's say, Les Arcs, and you can take the train all the way to Bourg Saint Maurice and then get the funicular uh, up to uh, Les Arcs. So I think that's great because 
I do this stuff independently, but I know that there's a lot of people out there who want to book with a tour operator. They want to get their accommodation and their travel and their transfer all packaged together. And it's been really frustrating that no one <laughs> recently, as far as I can see, has offered this. So I think it's brilliant that Ingham's is doing it. So I wanted to have you on to, mm. you know, uh, promote it and to, you know, let people know about it. And I think, you know, my my view is sustainability and offering lower carbon alternatives and more sustainable alternatives is that we have to make it as easy as possible for people. You know, it's it shouldn't be harder or less enjoyable experience or loads more expensive. You know, it should we should be able to as companies make it easy and accessible and simple for people to navigate. And if we can make that a little bit simpler um then we can encourage people to to take that kind of greener option i think i mean that, that's great it's just demystifying it's something i'm always trying to be uh, doing with ski uh, flight free just to let people understand uh, that it's not as complicated and in fact the title of the sessions for the uh, ski shows is uh, why a train travel to the alps isn't as complicated or as expensive as you might think and you mentioned the uh, price side of things uh, there i haven't actually looked i mean maybe you said they're uh, out at the moment how does the pricing work in I've relation been... to you know train travel versus a uh, plane piece i'm most excited about actually when we sat down and looked comparatively um the seven-day train, so the sort of normal non-snow train, if you like, is coming in um, like for like when we look at a return from Gatwick. And then the eight-night snow train is coming in probably about £80 more per night because, uh, sorry, overall, because you've got that additional night. Um, so, for example, we've got a chalet can in teens departing on the 16th of December for seven nights. The plane from Gatwick return is £1,399 per person based on two sharing in that catered chalet. And the train is coming in exactly the same. The seven night train is 1399 And then oh, on the this, snow is, train, this is so good. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm loving this because you know, the, the classic uh, people, oh, they go, oh, it's yeah. so much more expensive. And, you know, we can we we can tackle that from an individual yeah. point of view but you're talking about packages here and you're booking a package everything's in one you know you have to protect it etc yeah. you know people are concerned about you know that side of things it's all covered that is um that is great and, and you're saying 80 pounds more expensive for the uh, longer trip but obviously you can do an extra day skiing and for a lot of people if you're only going away for um you know one week a year uh, let's say to be able to do seven days you know rather than six is worth mm -hmm. paying a little bit more to be able to do exactly and you're back at 4 p.m into St Pancras on the Sunday so you know it's not you're not taking any more leave from from work to do that um yeah so I've got a village Montana apartment in teen on the 20th of January um that's 1275 pounds per person if you're flying and you do the eight night snow train option with the extra night and it's £1,355. So yeah, really pleased to see that. And again, coming back to that idea of being able to offer that choice and make it comparatively simple and easy for people, I think is great. Yeah, for sure. And maybe what some people don't also don't necessarily realize is a saturday is a great day to go skiing in the alps as well because it tends to be the main uh, changeover day and the slopes tend to be emptier it's a great day to be uh, you know on the hill uh, can i ask you how people go about 
booking them then? You said it's you're launching on the 18th of September. Today is a today is the 15th. We're recording this on Friday, the 15th of uh, September. Uh, I will probably publish this on Monday, the 18th. So I guess by the time anyone hears it, it's going to be available anyway. But how do they go about it? So all of the the non Eurostar snow options are bookable on our website. Um, just go through the Ingham Ski website. Um, and then if it's the Eurostar Snow option in particular that you're after, then just give us a call um, and we can we can do it over the phone. So whichever way you prefer, either option um, is available to the sort of web or, or call us up and have a chat if it's easier. Oh, well, that's brilliant. I mean, regular listeners to the show will recall I interviewed Prue Stone, who is the sustainability director, probably your boss or something, I guess, Chrissy, <laughs> uh, for a special episode we did about sustainability. And, you know, it was very clear at that stage that, uh, you know, Ingham's uh, hotel plan were um, really focused on sustainability. And I mentioned before about how a company does help are thinking about business with purpose. And that's definitely something that Ingham's, you know, focused on as well, actually to a guy called John Mansell. I can't remember what his role is. What's his He's role? the MD of Ingham's Esprit and Santa's right. Yeah, I chatted to him at Ski Launch and that idea of business with purpose is really important to, uh, to Ingham's and Hotel Plan. And so, you know, listener, hopefully this has educated you, given you some ideas and I encourage you to uh, go to the website and travel by train so that Eurostar put on uh, more services. Other tour operators, sorry, Chrissy, add on more train uh, options as well. And we can get back to where we were, um, you know, back in 2009, you know, 14 years ago when 36,000 people every year were traveling by train. That's great, Chrissy. Thank you very much. Um, Sue, you've, you've been... Um, you know, sitting there listening to all of this, and uh, I'd like to give you the opportunity to speak because you've given up your uh, time as well. Just out of interest, have you ever travelled by train out to the mountains? I haven't travelled to the mountains. I have been on the Eurostar many times to Paris and Brussels, and it's a great way to travel. I travelled recently by plane to the same location, and it was a big hassle. So I'm definitely pro train and Eurostar in particular. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're going to Paris, uh, definitely it makes sense. Although, you know, you've got a Scottish accent. You don't live in Scotland right now. I get it. If you don't live near to London, this is one of the limiters. Um, however, you have travelled much further uh, afield than uh, Paris. I believe I'm right in saying that you're first woman from the UK to ski to the magnetic North Pole. I mean, I'm just fascinated uh, by this. Uh, I did watch your uh, TED talk, which I'll put a link into the uh, show notes. Does that? How, how do you even do that? How do you? How do you ski to the North Pole? Well, I was part of an expedition team, so it's always easier going in a group. And the, like any of these expeditions, it's an opportunity to experience nature in quite a different way. Of course, it's physically and mentally challenging but it really does connect you with nature. It's almost like a month a month of mindfulness in one go. Yeah, I mean, ski touring can be like that. It's very, you know, rhythmic. But uh, you're saying connection with nature. I mean, apart from ice and snow, what do you see? <laughs> well, there's not much else. There can be sometimes a little bit of wildlife. In fact, there was one day that we saw a snow bunting, a small bird, out on the ice in front of us. And it stopped everyone in their tracks just to look at this small bird. It was quite amazing. You say it's just ice and snow, Ian, but you, when you look at the beauty within that, you can start to see details 
that you wouldn't normally. And that's just what I love. It's, I think what I'm hearing in, in this whole conversation with Chrissy as well today is a little bit about slowing down and appreciating the journey as well as getting to the destination. And that is the big advantage of, of ski touring or going on an expedition on the snow is you just appreciate it from a whole different perspective. And that's what I absolutely love about it. Well, you certainly got the opportunity uh, to appreciate it. And I think sometimes when as you said, things take a little bit longer. You have the opportunity to notice things. But actually, how long did it take then to, to ski to the North Pole? Well, it was a month. It was 30 days of skiing. And then it was a three and a half hour flight when we were picked up by Twin Otter and taken back to our base camp. And it does put things into perspective when it only takes that short amount of time to go by plane. But it was a wonderful experience over that month. So a month and, you know, you're ski touring, right? This is how it works. I mean, how much are you towing or carrying on your back? Uh, you know, there must be a certain amount of weight involved on a, on something that's that long. Yeah, we were dragging our own sledges and we did have a resupply en route. So the sledges weren't completely, we weren't completely self-sufficient, but they were probably 60 kilos or something like that. It's quite a fair weight. Now, most most people that are traveling for pleasure, perhaps, and, and less with an expedition focus, you wouldn't take that much weight in your sledge. But nevertheless, you're dragging a sledge, you're, it's attached by a harness to your, your waist. And then, of course, you're on your cross-country skis. And it's, an e it's a far easier way to travel across the ice of the Arctic when it's very uneven because you're traveling often on frozen sea ice. And so it looks like a bit of a building site. It's rubble ice. It's all squished together. So you're finding your way across that on your cross-country skis. It takes quite a long time, but it's easier and safer than without having those skis on. Yeah, I mean, it's still hard for me to imagine it. I mean, uh, you know, I mentioned before, I love uh, ski touring. I guess you're generally you're going up, but like physically, how long were you actually on the skis for each day then? 10, sometimes even 12 hours. And we would ski for an hour, we'd have a five minute break, another hour, another five minute break. And that was a routine for the whole day. They call it the polar plod. And I think that is a lovely description of it because you're not really moving that fast because if you did move too fast, you'd start to sweat and then your sweat will freeze because of the cold. So you don't want to sweat, but you want to obviously still keep moving, but moving at a speed and a temperature that will enable you to be comfortable enough uh, when you're skiing. I know you're saying it's like a uh, plod, but you, you said you don't want your sweat to freeze. What kind of temperatures are we talking about while you're out there? An average was minus 20 Celsius, some days minus 40, and then you add wind chill on top of that. That's the reason you keep moving, Ian. <laughs> to just, nice. just not freeze. So you, you, you're trying to go at a really kind of low um, aerobic uh, level but you know you're towing a 60 kilogram uh, sledge behind you it's still going to be hard work without fueling yourself if you're on the go for 10 or 12 hours a day how are you topping up your your carbs yeah well we also wore a rucksack on our back and that had your daily snacks in it so in those five minute breaks you would be having I mean it was a, cho a chocolate fest for a month you know chocolate <laughs> bars uh, salami sort of pepperami type foods anything a flapjack type of thing so anything that's going to give you a high calorific value we were consuming in total 5,000 calories a day but the majority of those calories were in our dehydrated food that was then reconstituted when we melted the snow for our 
uh, dinner in the evening. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you make it the chocolate part of it sounded great. The dehydrated food for a, a month sounds less appealing. I've kind of, you know, I've done that on a few uh, hikes before. And actually, some of that food can be can be pretty good. But so did you have in that 60 uh, kilogram um, sled? Have you got a tent in there or something? Are you putting that up every evening? How does that work? Yes, it's like mobile mobile campsite in your sledge. So you have your tent and it's really easy to camp in the Arctic on ice and snow because you're rather than using your sort of pegs that you would do in a traditional campsite on grass, you use your skis as your tent poles and they then hold the tent down. And it's very easy to just put your ski into the snow to to give your tent some security. And then we would dig up extra blocks of snow and put them around the tent so there would be an extra apron attached to the fly sheet and then you put your blocks of snow and ice around that to stop the wind getting under underneath your tent so every day you're pitching your tent and then every morning of course taking that down and continuing along so with your tent your food your fuel your safety equipment and very very minimal extra clothing there's not much space for anything else. So everything in your sledge is really carefully considered so that your sledge isn't too heavy. Uh, Because of course, if you have a heavier sledge, you might need more food to Mm. have the calories for the energy, but then that means you're an even heavier sledge. So there's quite an optimal balance to be struck. We've discussed um, that before. I think when Al Morgan, our uh, equipment uh, expert was on the show, we talked about, the impact of the the weight of your equipment your boots and your skis uh, relatively to to having something on your back and that is much more significant I mean did you have very lightweight skis and boots for this yes we did we had um boots that were I'm trying to remember the name now so they're they're I think they're called mucklucks so they almost look like white wellington boots so they're lightweight, they're very chunky, but they're very th- thermally insulated. The, the, the bit up your leg is thermally insulated. So they're, they're boots that many people that live in the Arctic normally would be using day by day. So th- those would keep your feet warm. And then they're ta- attached into a special uh, binding that then is on a quite a lightweight ski with fish skin on the bottom, the scales, so that when you're moving forwards, if you are going uphill, of course, you're not slipping backwards. Yeah, I'm still getting my uh, head around uh, all of this. You're doing it in the uh, in the Arctic Circle. I presume you said, oh, you go to bed at night. But is there a night and day when you're doing this? Yeah, you're right. absolutely right, Ian. There isn't. It's 24-hour daylight. We were skiing April and May time, so spring springtime. And I always used to have my balaclava over my eyes at night so that I did have some sense of darkness. Otherwise, it would be really difficult to sleep. And of course, from that context, it means you can ski at any time of the day or night. So if the weather conditions were better at night, then there was no reason why we couldn't have done that. I mean, you got a watch, which is your clue as to, you know, what's uh, going on. But did you find your, I um, can't think what the uh, term is, your diurnal uh, clock still worked? Could you kind of tell whether it was day or night? Well, I could, I think. At least I, I told myself that there was daytime and nighttime and that we could have a rest. I mean, there was a subtle change in temperature when it was effectively evening. It would get even colder and there would be the sun would be low in the sky if the sun was out. 
of course, because very often the sun isn't easy to see and we were navigating by the sun. So we need ideally to be able to see it because we're going to the magnetic North Pole. You can't use a compass because the compass would start to spin around and almost try to point straight downwards. If you you might then be thinking, well, just why don't you use your GPS or something like that? Back in the mid 90s, that technology wasn't that available. And also batteries get used up very quickly in the cold. So you can't have your GPS on all the time. So we had to switch on our GPS in the morning, set a bearing or look for a big piece of ice on the horizon, switch off your GPS, head towards the ice. If the cloud comes down, you're still hoping for the best and heading in the same direction. And then we would be navigating by the sun during the day and then using that for our, our way of navigation. It's still just uh, is mind boggling, uh, the whole thing. I mean, you mentioned uh, about, you know, wanting to minimize what you had in your in your pack and on your sled and, you know, minimal uh, clothing. So I'm guessing there's not much opportunity to kind of launder anything you have with you. How do, how do you deal with that sort of things? Well, I must say when Chrissy was talking about Sunday or Saturday being the extra ski day on the slopes, I was thinking a similar thing on, on our expedition was on a Saturday, it was new pants day. So we had four pairs of underwear with us and one set per week. That was a treat to change. Right. I mean, you know, in some respects, that kind of fits in because we've had, uh, if uh, regular listeners will recall, we talked about the uh, oat route. I think we had uh, Tristan and Katie on that episode and they talk about yeah, minimizing what you put in your uh, backpack uh, for that and the number of changes of uh, you know socks and underwear that you can uh, get away with. Um, so another question I've got to ask you then is like, um, you know, why? Is the obvious one to ask, why? You're the first um, woman from the UK to, to ski to the magnetic North Pole. What drew you into that trip? I mean, how did it come about? Well, my simple terms, I would say curiosity. I I really am curious to explore the world. And I saw an advert, this was back in the the mid-90s, as I said, an advert in the newspaper. And it was inviting people to apply to join this expedition to go to the Magnetic North Pole. And the people had to be novices with no experience. There were two qualifications, the ability to work in a team and the ability to raise £15,000 to pay for your place. Now, I could have bought a house for that amount of money back in the 90s. I had no idea how I was going to raise it. But I said to myself, using that curiosity, if it's meant to be, I'll find a way. So I sent off for the application and the details came back, a lovely glossy brochure. And it said on the front, are you man enough for the ultimate challenge? And it was all all pictures of men. Now, that was a great motivation for me to apply and uh, get in the team. That's very impressive. Uh, and I love that. I love that. I don't think uh, they would have any adverts uh, like that uh, uh, just now. Um, and you mentioned um, that you had been, uh, I think, ski touring, you said, in uh, in Greenland. Was that with, um, can I ask, Panache Cruises? Uh, yeah, uh, yes, Panache Cruises organise expedition cruises. And I was on an expedition cruise up in Narvik in Norway. It was actually last year. And then from the ship, then arranged a day out to do some snowshoeing. I mean, cruising is a great way, a bit like Chrissy was saying with train travel. Cruising is a great way to get to experience the outdoors and and have some wonderful winter experiences. And there's a lot of cruise lines going up to the Arctic, Norway and so on in, in the winter. So that's what I love about it is to be able to travel 
and enjoy the Norwegian fjords, for example, in wintertime, see the northern lights, hopefully, and then get to do some fantastic experiences like ski touring when you're there too. Well, I'll put a link into the show notes. I had a look at uh, their website and I saw they go to Svalbard, which we've uh, covered that uh, before. Uh, but also um, ski touring in Norway as well. And, uh, you know, if you are a uh, listener, have been um, excited, motivated by Sue talking like that, and maybe you don't want to go all the way to the North Pole, but you want to uh, experience some ski touring in that area, you can follow in the tracks of uh, people like Scott Abmanson, uh Hillary and Stockdale. <laughs> that That is uh, really interesting, Sue. Thanks very much uh, for that. Right. We're going to move towards a close now. Now, I enjoy all feedback about the show. I'd like to know what you think. If you have any ideas for features, just contact me on social at Ski Podcast or by email theskipodcast at gmail.com. A bit of feedback I had since the last episode. Uh, Bob NCH uh, on the website Snowheads uh, was talking about the Australia uh, episode. He he said he enjoyed that as it brought back fond memories of the gum trees in Threadbow, which you probably uh, remember too, uh, Chrissy. Um, I also noticed we now have 29 five-star reviews on Spotify. So thanks for that if I was you. And I'd particularly like to thank Max Martin for this great review on Apple Podcasts. He gave us a five-star review. Uh, described uh, the podcast as the one show for skiing and snowboarding. Uh, a year-round fortnightly roundup of interviews and reports on all aspects of skiing and snowboarding. Always interesting and informative. The ski podcast keeps me in touch with the sport and lifestyle. I don't watch the one show, but I'm still thinking that's a pretty good compliment. So I'm, I'm going to take that. Thank you very much. Um, and Nick D bought me a coffee and uh, said, well-deserved on getting to the awards finals. Keep up the great work. He also says he was in Roccarazzo the same week uh, I was there, which is back in uh, February, Roccarazzo in the Italian Apennines, uh, and enjoyed that uh, podcast. And so, listener, I'll put a link to the show notes about that one uh, as well. And if you want to buy me a coffee too, buymeacoffee.com forward slash ski podcast. Now, there are 185 episodes now of the podcast to catch up with. Uh, users catch up uh, the whole time. I think 100, I looked uh, earlier, 114 were listened to in the last week. 62% of our listeners, it also says in the analytics, are in the UK, which means there's 38%. Uh, from all around the world. Uh, so welcome to our international listeners. Um, I noticed that USA is in second place. Uh, I would love to hear from you, American listeners, when your season starts, because I know it's going to be starting soon. And I can tell you that our next episode, we're going to have a feature on Aspen. Um, we don't have so much uh, North American uh, coverage, but um, uh, we will have uh, more leading into this winter. Now, you can follow me at Skipedia and the podcast at the Ski Podcast. But for now, I would like to thank Les Valet for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today, Chrissy. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ian. And see you at the snow show. Yep. Looking forward uh, to that. And Sue, thank you. Thanks, Ian. Great to be here. And finally, listener, thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Don't forget that if you want to support the podcast, then remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code SKIPODCAST or simply take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Thanks again and have a great winter.